Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This program was previously broadcast live on Love Sport Radio, so some items may be out of date. Phone-in elements of these shows are not available, but if you'd like to comment or give us feedback on our shows, you can tweet us at Love Sport Radio. For more podcasts or to listen live, visit lovesportradio.com. Alternatively, you can find this and other podcasts on iTunes or Spotify using the keyword Love Sport. Remember when it was just five points from a possible 21. Pah! Successive wins for the first time since December. Then became three on the bounce with victory over Middlesbrough in midweek. Teams below are faltering. Now it's time for their blip. And next up, it is Hull. Without a win in the league since New Year's Day and in freefall with striker Tom Eves out until the end of the campaign. We're going to be looking back on three 1-0 wins on the bounce. We'll be looking ahead to Hull and we'll also be talking all things Kiko Kassia. Bit of big breaking news there. On this, the Leeds United fan show, me, Matt Beadle, joined by John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? Hello, John. Hey, mate. And James Wood, the fiery, the feisty, the new and improved James Wood with us in the studio too. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a compliment, but good to see you too. <laughs> Lovely to have you in the studio, gents. And I've got to say, I've been, uh, I've been feeling, feeling pretty good of late. No, 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 we can't do it. Last time we did it, it was a jinx. We don't want to get carried away, all right? So none of that... Actually, go on. Go on. <laughs> No, we don't want any more. We're cutting it short. Paddy producer, we don't want any more, okay? None of that. <laughs> this is the best bit now. <laughs> so gloriously, like, 80s, isn't it? Absolutely love every minute of it. It's that bit at the end when she really gets into <laughs> it. She really, like, the little harmony with the sax. The mm. trill. Is it a trill? Is that what they call it? 
I have no idea. I think it's in singing it would be a trill. Oh. So you've got to love that. Brilliant, brilliant, fellas. And three 1-0 wins on the bounce. We're going to get into all of that, but a bit of news first. Breaking news for Leeds United, and that is that goalkeeper Kiko Kassia has been banned for eight matches and fined £60,000 after being found guilty of racially abusing Charlton Athletic forward Jonathan Necco. West Brom forward, of course, was with Charlton at the time on loan there. He's now returned to his parent club due to injury. Now... We'll get into this because Kiko denied the charge, didn't he? It's been a, a hearing that has rumbled on and on and on. We've kind of spoken about it, touched upon it every time we've done a show and not really known what's been happening. Now, with regards to everything around this situation, Leeds have since released a statement. I'll read that out and then I'll come to you guys for comment. They have said, Leeds United acknowledges that Kiko Casilla has been found guilty of breaching FA Rule E3 during our Skybet Championship game with Charlton in September. Garcia has been banned for eight games. Following the verdict, we would like to make it clear that we do not tolerate any form of discrimination within our football club and we are a leader in the fight against discrimination within our wider community. However, it is important to recognise that Kiko has always denied making any racist comment. The FA panel have based their decision on the balance of probability rather than proving Kiko to be guilty beyond reasonable doubt, which we have always believed is the more appropriate burden of proof. Right, OK, let's let's get into this because Antonio Rudiger has spoken out, hasn't he, earlier in the week and saying racism's won, it's all over, the powers that be aren't doing enough. And we've got another example here where racism has reared its ugly head and whilst Kiko has been given a ban and the club have endorsed that ban, they're also saying, but. Mm. And that's a wider issue that will surely be picked on. Yeah, I think... <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a bit naughty of the club to come out the way that they have and be bullish about um, a, a charge of racism. To say something like we that this is based on the um, this is on the basis of probability, I think is naughty because I think everything all I mean innocent until proven guilty is still on the basis of probability a lot of the time. If there was anyone else, I think in any other uh, profession who was accused of, uh, of of making racial comments, they they're case would be also based on um, balance of probabilities as well so I think it's important to to recognize that I think the, the club are maybe trying to make it sound as though um, they're backtracking a little bit and saying oh well you know we just stuck by him but that doesn't make us uh, correspondingly racist um, it's something that we've said all along I think on our channel that, that you know these sorts of things don't just happen as well I think it's, it's easy for fans to get carried up in the moment and be like you know the, F, the FA haters the EFL haters um, all sorts of conspiracy theories can come out but it's, it's one of those things where you hear it and you think you know there's a Spanish player who's been accused of, of using a racial term and it's happened before and we've seen those court cases rumble on and just on the again on the balance of probability it just sounds like a classic case of 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 spanish player using uh, a word that is maybe acceptable in their culture but isn't acceptable here and th- these players come over here they get a lot of money they get a lot of attention from the fans um and they have a broadly speaking good life and i think that you know that comes that's that, that comes at a cost and that cost is that they have to then respect uh, the rules of the of the leagues and the countries that they come into how much, James, is this down to education for those players that come in? And we have to be careful here not to try and justify what's happened because we categorically mm-hmm. are not doing that from the outset. I just want to make that very, very clear. And John has used the word naughty there from the statement that Leeds have released. It's also quite dangerous, I think, in terms of, of saying, you know, the balance of probability and saying, however, by the way, this has happened. But I tell you what, we've spoken to Kiko and yes, he might protest his innocence, but that cultural 
not ignorance, but the the fact that he was unaware that such a word might not be deemed acceptable here is surely part of the education process that these footballers have to learn. Yeah, so I think, that, that, again, I think I said this last week, without knowing the exact specifics of what's been done, it's very difficult to have any kind of sort of informed comment on this issue. I do think when it comes to saying the club have behaved naughtily, in defence of the communications team, it is difficult either way. Because if the club had come out with a statement saying, we acknowledge there has been a, the FA has made a decision and said nothing else, that could also be interpreted as, we simply acknowledge the decision, but you can read into the context there. And given those kind of conspiracy theories that John mentions, they are circulating on Twitter, people are saying all of those things. I think it is important, actually, for the club to lay out the process by which this has been come to. Balance probability is exactly the right way of doing things. It is, I think, Amatai Winehouse said on Twitter a couple of minutes ago, that's what you'd use for a civil mm. uh, proceeding in a court as opposed to a criminal proceeding. And it's also, let's forget, football is, is our entertainment, but it's Kiko Casilla's job. And if you're up on a disciplinary in any other line of work, it's exactly the same uh, way of assessing what you've done that would be used by, by any other profession. So it shouldn't be a different rule for football. So I think making it clear how the decision has been arrived at is actually probably something the club should do and is, is preferable to the alternative, which is just saying nothing, uh, presuming the club isn't going to come out and say, yes, we, we do think he's a horrible racist, uh, which would then club cast the club in a bad light because the immediate follow-up would be, well, why is he still a player then? Why haven't you sacked him? Uh, so I, I don't think there are really any good options in terms of dealing with this scenario and I think they've probably picked the best one but I do understand completely the point and, and why why you'd say that it was a bit naughty and that's the key point right he's going to be out now for eight games there are 11 games remaining he'll be back for the game with Barnsley on 18th of April if he's back depending on what Meslier does in his absence we're presuming it will be Meslier that steps in John from a fan's perspective now having that goalkeeper who has been found guilty regardless of how the fans perceive him and he's a popular figure you know he's a very popular figure at the club how do you feel as a fan now knowing that you've had someone in your in your ranks at Leeds United that has been found guilty of racism I think it's interesting that you say as a fan because I think if you ask most fans now because he's had a bad run of form for 10 games I don't think they could care less that he's being banned um, and so therein lies therein lies the problem with with fandom right that that it becomes very hard to make ethical or moral decisions on the basis of what what is essentially a football club that's why I mean you, you mentioned like the if if the club had come out and said Kiko has been racist therefore we're going to terminate his contract um I mean that is is that not a legitimate course of action that the club could take um but they won't do that because Kiko is a valuable asset and that and and I think the same the same comes through I guess when you're a fan and you're assessing these um scenarios that all it took for I think originally when these charges came out everyone was incensed all it took for people to change their mind on it was was a 10 game bad run of form and and everything was reversed so it's a, I just think it's a really really tricky um context and scenario to to actually make any kind of decent judgment on and no no doubt if Meslier came in and had a shocker for five games, people would probably change their minds again about the about the ban on, on uh, Casilla. So, yeah, it's really hard to say. Um, as a fan, I obviously... Um, I, I'm, I'm disappointed that the that, that, that one that, that Kiko has behaved in the way that he has. Two, a little bit by the way that the, the club have dealt with it. Um, and... I, I just think we've we should have learned lessons from this has happened before you know other clubs we we should have learned lessons if you talk to if you hear any of the Liverpool squad for example talking about Luis Suarez there's a general consensus that the way they dealt with that was was bad and I think Leeds Leeds are obviously not doing not going about things quite the same way but I think there, there may be a sense in which they look back on this period and think maybe we could have done things differently 
Yeah, and that was, what, eight, nine years ago as well, that mm-hmm. incident involving Suarez and Evra. And sometimes you look at clubs and you just think, how? How are we still not quite getting this right? I'd imagine this debate will rumble on throughout the course of the week, various organisations getting involved too. There will be further discussion on this on Love Sport Breakfast, weekend breakfast tomorrow morning. So make sure you tune into that between 8 and 12 p.m. That is the news that Leeds United goalkeeper Kiko Casilla has been banned for eight matches and fined 60,000 after being found guilty of racially abusing Charlton Athletic forward Jonathan Lecco. This is the Leeds United fan show. We're going to look ahead to the game with Hull next and reflect on those three successive wins. For the fans, by the fans, Love Sport Radio. Leeds United fans show me, Matt Beadle, with John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? James Wood in the studio with us too. Now, gents, we're around 14 minutes late, but it is time, John, for our opening stat. Mm. Yeah, I've got a, a, another Josh Hobbs special. So um, the opening stat is Ben White only received the ball twice from the centre-backs playing in the di- um, in the defensive midfield role, which is obviously vastly different to what we'd expect a KP playing there, Kevin Phillips, um, and is a good way to point out why Leeds seem to struggle more than usual and are going long a lot more than normal. For comparison, in the last away game, Calvin Phillips received the ball 28 times from the centre-backs in the previous away games. OK, so we're basically saying that Ben White in that role... Not as Ben White in that role, I think, is playing as more of a, a classic defensive midfielder. Um, so he's there to break up the play. So we've incidentally we've had Ben White playing in those games, and we've not been conceding um, so, so many. But we've also not been creating quite. We've not been. We we don't have the the, the same control because Phillips has got brilliant positional awareness. Uh, he's got a good passing range, and um, uh, yeah, his his movement's good as well. So I think between those two between those two things, it's meant that incidentally, obviously. Um, ben Ben White came on in the second half of the Reading game and it changed a lot um, because we were already a goal up uh, and I think <clears throat> that meant that we could just have a, a midfielder who was just going to sit there, break up play and that worked out fine for us but in the um, Borough game when we needed uh, a more progressive um, and creative player in that spot um, we had Ben White from the beginning and it meant it was a little bit harder for us to create and transition the ball as, as, than we had been doing so yeah. James, I felt I felt in the first half of the season, all we did was really talk about Ben White. I feel like this is the first time, really, we've spoken about Ben White in depth since the turn of the year, probably. Yeah, it's probably fair. I, I, I just think that in in the role that he's being asked to do, he isn't as effective as Calvin. But then nobody would be. Calvin's one of the best defensive midfielders in, I'd, I'd say, in England, let alone in the Championship. And there's been a big article today in the Times saying he should be picked for the England squad. So. Um, Compared to coming into Calvin, you're never going to have the same quality. And I think Bielsa said a couple of times that he doesn't have someone who can just drop in there, especially with Adam Forshaw being out. Um, I think as well he's being asked to play an unfamiliar position and the kind of things he does very well at centre-back, many of those skills aren't cross-applicable, where he's defending exceptionally well in front of the, the back four, mm. but that range of offensive passing isn't there. Because when you look at him from a from an offensive point of view playing as a centre-back, it tends to be making an interception and releasing a simple ball to either Phillips or Ayling from a sort of right-half position. Uh, you put him further up the field and more central, and those kind of passing options aren't there. So I, I do think we need to be careful. Ben White, obviously, as a player, do ha- does have s- some limitations. And, and while he's coping admirably, he's, yeah, pr- probably a bit of a fish out of water in that mm. position. And as soon as he can come back to centre-back, it'll be, a, be better for him and for us. 
I see him as a ball carrier more than a, a ball player, and I think that he loses his, his edge in that regard um, when he goes into the central midfield. Now we know that he we know that he's good under pressure um, as a defender, but that the difference between being good under pressure when you're under pressure from a single striker is completely different to being under pressure from a central midfielder where you've got to evade the player and then move into space and and, and you don't want to run into trouble again. So um, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think I think. He's there because there's no one else to be there, and he's got probably the best skill set, really, of the of the senior players to do that. But um, it's really not ideal having him in central midfield. It's also noticeable that when he's at centre back and the play does tend to open up in front of him, he'll usually get to about twenty five, thirty yards from the box, but will then lose the ball because the passing ability isn't there. Mm. And it's yeah, what what is a good range of passing when you're a centre back playing as a centre back is not actually that good when you're put into a midfield role. Mm. And you'll see that when Leeds play, the the play tends to go through either down the right right side um, from Ben White or, or go into Liam Cooper, and he'll be the the player who will who has the better passing range, so he'll he'll um, redistribute the ball. So um, yeah, yeah. But in general, actually, I can't think of too many centre backs who've transitioned into being good defensive midfielders. I can think of quite a few defensive midfielders who've dropped further down the pitch mm. uh, and have been very effective, but not too many who've moved further forward. Yeah. So I think it's just a, probably a general problem for, for all players and Ben White's coping as well as he can with it. Mm. Well, let's look at the recent fixtures then, gents, because there was the 1-0 win against Bristol City a couple of Saturdays ago, then 1-0 against Reading, then 1-0 against Middlesbrough. The club are now eking it out you'd feel five points clear now Fulham in third spot the teams below Leeds in the championship just seeming to falter last weekend a very good weekend of course in terms of results I think it was only Preston in that top seven apart from yourselves and West Brom who won last weekend of course games in the week as well we'll start with Reading first James Pablo Mm -hmm. Hernandez stepping up to the plate yeah so uh, I was there with Jack who was on last week um it was a bit of a scrappy game and Reading did exactly what we thought they were going to try and do, which was sit in, defend well, prevent us from having chances and try to hit us on the break. And they did the first part of that fairly well. Uh, Pablo's goal was not, not the prettiest. A couple of lucky ricochets and a fairly deft finish into the top corner at the end. Um, but they couldn't really execute the second. They didn't really look like they had the tools to hurt us at any point during the game. Um, so, yeah, it, I th- thought it just sort of was a statement of where we are and where they are uh, as two respective sides. That, you know, the midfield for them, I know Ajari had pulled out, but Abise looked really good and John Swift was good as well. Um, but up front, Pushkas, Mate, the, these aren't, you know, top, top players that are going to have you competing at the uh, the top end of the championship. Mm. And, it, and it looked that way. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think it feels as though Leeds have... have turned a corner that's what everyone says right but I was waiting for that what does yeah. that what does what did, what do we mean when we say that and and what is what's actually going on on the field as as, as produced that and i think simply the the i don't want to say players have stepped up but i think there's a realization that you know we can't just we we can't just mope about the fact that we're creating enough chances to win games um we've actually got to take some chances and we've seen we've seen that in in all in in the games it's been good to see pablo you know forcing the issue getting a goal it's good to see click forcing the issue getting a goal and I think the realization is, you know, Bamford's here to stay, and um, at some point, it will it will turn around for him. He's not going to go for the rest of his career scoreless. And I think there's just a realization that, you know, this is 
that they have no one to blame but themselves. It's up to them to to get on with this, and and it's been quite nice watching us kind of eke out one nil wins from from games where we probably should be winning by more. So it's it's uh, it's been quite nice to see, I think, because it's just it feels as though we've after the Brentford performance, we've just become mm. a little bit more business like, um, and we've we've just got on with it, made sure that we do just enough to win and and win the games that we we'd been saying this is the run that we need to start having uh, before that that Fulham game to guarantee that we're we're comfortable in second place it's also looking more like we're back to the team we were before Christmas because particularly a couple of fixtures like the Brentford game the Preston game then uh, I'm saying you know even when we're not playing well even when the ball's not going in the net it felt like there was sort of an inevitability about it that we Mm. would play and play and the goal would eventually come because whoever we're playing they'll eventually make a mistake and we'll score. Uh, and it feels like we're coming back to that rather than what we've had in previous weeks like Wigan where the ball never does go in and then it's us making the mistake and conceding the goal. Mm. Um, so it's been a gratifying you know, return to that kind of, of style of game. I also think it should put to bed this notion that Bielsa teams burn out at the end of the season because I think what we've seen in this season is not a burnout. It's been, it has been some kind of um, psychological collapse. Now, we, we always caveat saying things like this by the fact that you know you can't quantify anything like that but in the, basically since that that Cardiff game where we were 3-0 up and then we we came out 3-0 there was just a there was a, clearly a mental fragility in the team that has taken them this long to to turn around and I think Phil Hay was saying on the Phil Hay show this week that um, he had noticed that the players he just felt as though the players had re- were resigned a little bit to the fact that they just couldn't get anything right everything was going badly for them and Amazingly, in the space in the space of one game, everything's just turned around, and it it just goes to show the importance of 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 something like psychology on sports pl- uh, players, and um, hopefully that that is all behind us now. But it, it's incredible just the the impact that that kind of thing can have. I think the Brentford game was really important as well because one of the things that happened in all of the games previous was that we'd play really well, and then somebody would make a mistake and we'd concede, mm. and it was like, well, no matter how well we play, we'll have a mistake and then we lose. Yeah. I think actually it was better that we got a draw against Brentford and we had that mistake and then came back from it and then we just sort of won yeah. one nil because it shows those mistakes can happen but you can still dig yourself out of that hole it's still perfectly possible and you still can and in the case of Brentford game should have gone on to win it so yeah, yeah it, it's that kind of mental change that's been been evident over the last few games along with the elimination of those errors which allow us to get the wins well, it is just two. He is getting closer, isn't he, Patrick Bamford? Just two goals since Boxing Day for him. Ryan Shotton, I think, just managed to get a toe on that chance that looked mm-hmm. like it was guaranteed to be a goal. It was Mateus Click, of course, with the winner right on the stroke of half-time. Four goals this season, three against Middlesbrough, which is quite an incredible stat. The other stat coming out of this one, his 83rd consecutive game for the club. Now, that is the joint 17th best in the club's history, which is, I mean, it just goes to show, doesn't it, the the consistency that you have in a player like Click. Actually, who's top of that list? Any idea? The most consecutive, most consecutive appearances for Leeds United. Oh, for Leeds? Is for, it? Yeah, for Leeds. Yeah. Oh, so it won't be the goalkeeper. Um, Liam, no, he's been injured all time. Oh, all time. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Billy Bremner, Norman Hunter, uh, Nigel Martin. Uh, close. Um, Paul Robinson. <coughs> Keep going. Go on, James. Uh, Gary Kelly. Um, Ian Hart. John Lukic. John Lukic. Oh, to the winner, James Wood there. 146 league games in a row. By the way, of course, he had two spells with the club, didn't he? So that's 94 he also racked up as well. So Click has got some way to go to equal the great John Lukic. But Click himself, like I said there, four goals this season, three against Middlesbrough. Yes, a coincidence, but a good goal. Oh, yeah, yeah, a really good finish. It was one of the things we'd said uh, a couple of weeks back is that it 
we were sort of struggling to remember the last time where you saw someone put one away and thought, oh, wow, that's a great, that's a great finish. Uh, and Clicky, you know, pulled one out the back against Middlesbrough. It was a really good finish. Straight after. Yeah. After Hernandez hit the post hit, hit as the well. Post and Pears had absolutely no chance. Yeah. But, yeah, Click's just an absolute machine in the midfield. And he's been so, so good for us. And I thought he was... He got the man of the match, I think, against Middlesbrough, which he deserved. He deserved it against Reading, but Pablo got it because Pablo scored, which is mm. obviously what always happens in a 1-0. Okay. Um, but, yeah, he's he's been absolutely brilliant for us this yeah. year. And he's one of those players you look at and think he, he sort of goes under the radar quite a bit, but is easily good enough to play in the uh, the Premier League as well. His production is just is wild. I was looking at some of his stats this week, and if you look at particularly his attacking stats, his XG, his XA, so his expected assists, um, his touches in the box, his passes into the box, his progression... Um, just every, almost every, um, every one of these stats that you look at from an attacking, progressive, productive point of view, and he's pushing like 90th percentile in the league. So the the guy is is very very important to Leeds, and uh, I, I think yeah, you say he goes under the radar. I think it's precisely because he's doing all of this. He's doing all of the bits in between the the, the chances. Uh, he's helping us transition. He's helping us attack. He's uh, both creative but also a runner as well. So yeah, really really enjoyable player. Yeah, I think also with the uh, the chance he missed against Middlesbrough proving that it's not just Patrick Bamford that can miss incredibly <laughs> high XG chances. Yeah. XA, by the way, that is going deep into the stats, isn't it? XA. Expected assist. Yeah, yeah. expected assist is just the, the assist that produces the, the XG. So you, you basically take a step back. So um, it's basically the XG from... Yeah, so say I pass the ball through to Bamford and he missed it on the goal line, as he as he is likely to do. And it was uh, 0.75. I mean, it's more likely you'd be passing it to, the, to Bamford, to be fair, isn't it? <laughs> but it's funny how you weigh that up then, isn't it? Because so you, you take it from the XG and whoever passed mm. to the striker for that XG. So is it... Is it a, a, a good thing or a bad? I guess it can only be positive. It depends. For the it goes both ways. XA. Obviously, it goes both ways. So the striker's obviously got to be in a good position as well. Um, but yeah, no. You, so you you're basically just taking the expected goals that you're producing from your pass. But it's hard to it's hard to narrow down that right because of the the rating of the, the the xg. If it's you know if it's quite low, that could be down to a poor assist. But that's not recorded in the XA right it's just a number yeah I mean, it's, it's dependent on the player getting a shot away as well so um, I don't know there was I think the, people pull this stat out quite a bit for the the season when Pogba got a lot of um, mm. assists um, and they worked out the XA was quite low because there's a few where he'd like pass it to Martial in the, in the central midfield area and then and then Martial would like run into the box and score so yeah yeah I think in fact I might I might not be expressing this particularly well because I think it may be to do with where the ball is originally taken from as well so if you make a pass to the position um, the X, X, XG is taken from that position and then rather than the F, the final XG of the shot so I think you, you, you like all stats you have to take it with a pinch of salt because um, it's it's in individual cases there's always going to be some outliers where it doesn't particularly work but um, I think in it, when you when you aggregate it all up when you get a big sample size you start seeing some of the better players in terms of um, production starts start, start showing through so for example Kevin De Bruyne just has a, a absolutely wild um, productive um, uh, stats according to XA and that makes sense right because he's quite a uh, productive player so mm. okay well more on quantum physics and Pythagoras' <laughs> theorem next week on the <laughs> United fan show let's just quickly look at those those wins James are crucial right because we look at those narrow wins, like I said, eking those victories out. Keeping clean sheets is one thing. I think one. I think it was Graham Jones I heard uh, uh, 10 days or so ago when Luton got back-to-back one nilers, mm-hmm. And he said, you know what, that's probably the most satisfying week I've had since being a Luton Town manager because to keep a clean sheet and to win one nil, he was like, yep, yeah, totally happy with that. 
Yeah, and I think especially given the fragility of the defence before that run, um, you're very, very happy seeing us keep three clean sheets on the bounce because it's something that we've been failing to do and have been co- costing us points. Um, I think all of those games, to be fair, you'd look out and say, well, it was 1-0 and it could have been, should have been quite a lot more. Bristol in particular, we looked like we could score four or five. Reading thought defended quite well. Uh, Borough, but for the ridiculous Bamford shot and combination uh, would have been two and, you know, Hernandez obviously hit the post in the build-up to the Klitsch goal. So um, they're, they're satisfying one nilers. Uh, it would also be a, a lot easier on my uh, my poor heart if we could uh, get a couple more and, uh, and make it safe right before the end because obviously you do have things like um, Reading having a good chance late at the uh, at the end there Tavernier yesterday hitting the bar and it, it's a good 1-0 but it's not a, it's not a game we think yeah we're absolutely safe here like d- despite all the metrics you know we, we it could have gone either way there Okay, well, will it be 1-0 this weekend? Leeds travelling to Hull, a team in freefall at the moment in the Championship. They are just four points outside of those relegation places. We're going to be speaking to John C. Coleman next. Giving your team a voice. Love Sport Radio. Ready to pop the question? The jewellers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The Opposition View on Love Sport. Leeds United fan show here on Love Sport. Me, Matt Beadle with John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? James Wood in the studio with us too. In a very short moment, we're going to be speaking to John T. Coleman <laughs> from Hull Live on that game at the KCOM tomorrow. It's the early kickoff in the Championship Saturday afternoon at 12.30. But John, before we do that, you just want to iron out a few <laughs> a few issues over XA. I just want to give a better definition <laughs> so, that, so that our dear listeners are not, are not left confused. I mentioned XG. XG has nothing to do with XA. Um, XA is simply this is the opta definition expected assists measure the likelihood that a given pass will become a goal assist it considers several factors including the type of pass pass endpoint and length of pass so it's it's another it's another metric like xg but it is not actually based on xg clear that up for you james not at all <laughs> <laughs> uh, right now we are going to speak to jonty coleman from hull live hello jonty Hello, gents. How are we all? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Great having you on the line with us. XA, interested in that at all? <laughs> yeah, I am a proper stats nerd. I'm not going to lie. Um, so, so, yeah, no, you, you've asked the right person on that one. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you understand it because I'm completely baffled now as to what XA is. No, I'm just kidding. John has explained it perfectly. Uh, let's get into tomorrow afternoon's game. Leeds travelling to Hull in the Championship. It's the early kickoff. Hull City without a win since New Year's Day. Tom Eaves now out until the end of the season two. This is a team that were decimated on January deadline day, of course. Both Jared Boeing leaving the club. Camille Grzycki leaving the club too. Yes, some players came in. 
Marcus Madison being one of those. But it's getting a bit concerning, really, is it not, for the Tigers? They are just four points outside of those relegation spots now. Yeah, it's it's, it's really worrying. And the thing is, after that win at Hillsborough on New Year's Day, Hull City were a point off the top six, eighth in the league. You know, they got some decent results together and they've caused a lot of shocks this season but since then it's been an absolute free fall really um, you know the fact that they've picked up two points from a possible 27 that, that speaks volumes you know it doesn't matter who you lose who gets injured but that's that's enough at any level to, to, to think that a, a side are in trouble um, Jared Bowen and Kamil Krasnicki leaving on deadline day that definitely didn't help um, and I think a lot of a lot of fans for immediately lower their expectations of results that have followed have only helped that really um, there's been a lot of injuries and tomorrow um, Leeds are going to face a, a very mixed whole city side with about three of the back four obviously Tommy as you mentioned kind of like for one of the you know main striker options he's out um, there's a few other players you know out for like Herbie Cady who came in on loan from Liverpool only last, um, last month he's expected to be out for the season there's James Scott who they'd signed for I think the best part of, well, more than a million pounds on deadline day. He hasn't even kicked the ball for the club and he's out for the season. So injuries have, you know, struck him again. But at the same time, the team, the players that have been playing recently, it's been really poor. It's, you know, uncharacteristic at times from what we've seen earlier this season. Hi, John T. It's John. I have a question about the the, the explanation given for the sales of Grzycki and, and Bowen. Was the club, did they give any sort of explanation for why they sold two of their most productive players? I think... On on that one, um, the issue was I think that they obviously wanted to keep Bowen and Krasicki. Who who wouldn't want to? You know, they they really if you looked across the championship, you'd struggle to name a best a better set of wingers from the same club. Hmm. Um, Bowen's goal scoring record was you know fantastic. Krasicki, you know, he did a lot in games, especially when he wasn't even playing that well. He'd always turn up with something um, like the best players often do. Um, I think the issue was that both of their contracts were out at the end of this season um, of course obviously they had options to extend those by a year internally but they'd offered both new deals neither had signed and um, they've offered a lot of players new deals this season and no one's extended the contract just yet which is also another concern um, but yeah I think with Bowen it was a case of if he's not going to sign a new deal then we need to cash in on him almost I think mm. and you could argue the same for Krasicki I mean really you know he's 31 he's the oldest player at the club he was signed on Premier League wages him and Marcus Henriksen you know they were on you know quite a lot of money compared to the rest of the squad and and you know given whole City sort of fall in the last couple of years the way you know they've lost the parachute payments now a lot of money that you know they would have been getting a few years ago they're no longer getting so they can't afford to pay the likes of Grzycki's wages mm. so so for him yes they've got £800,000 for him but it will be a lot more when you, when you take into account there was add-ons in that there was there's his wages which are so high and then of course Jared Bowen on deadline day when you get an offer you know of you know around best part of £15 million plus add-ons for your best player whose contract was going to expire in the summer who you know it's hard to stop him from getting that Premier League mm-hmm. he's kind of deserved in the last season or two mm-hmm. so so yeah so it, it makes sense obviously the issue was obviously the time I think you know losing the best part on the same day and it was such a free fall that week because the Saturday before they just played Chelsea it, uh, in the FA Cup at home sell out crowd one of the biggest crowds they'd had um, since they last in the Premier League so that was a fantastic day and you know they gave a really good account themselves three days later they lost at home to Huddersfield um, and then three days after that, uh, Bowen and Grzycki go. 
12 hours later after the deadline, the deadline shut, they go and lose 5 1 to Brentford. And since then, it's just continued to fall dramatically, really. Hi, John T. It's James. Um, it just seems like there's been a bit of uh, complacency at Hull, to be honest, saying that, oh, we can afford to sell Bowen, we can afford to sell Grisicki because uh, the rest of the squad will cope without them. And obviously, you've brought in the likes of Malik Wilkes, who was very good uh, for Doncaster last year in League One, Marcus Madison, who's been one of the best players in League One. Uh, since then, is it just a case of a perfect storm with injuries sort of decimating the first team, or is it more of a case of if you buy League One players, expect League One football? I think it's a combination of all three of things said. You know, I think with Bowen and Grisicki, it was a financial situation where the owners have come out and said, you know, since that um, it will help to sort of keep the running of the club. They haven't reinvested, but I don't think they'll be really reinvesting much of that money. A lot of it will just be just to limit their debts, you know, if you like. Um, in terms of the injuries, there's been a lot of them. And, you know, I do sympathise with them on that. You know, Grant McCann said that he's never seen an injury crisis quite like it. It just eased uh, last week. And then it's picked right back up again. You know, his press conference earlier said, you know, he's going to have a few more players out injured. And um, I think they're going to be about nine first-team players tomorrow. And at least half of them would have probably started. So there's that. Um, and I think at the same time, obviously, when you're having to make three, four changes every game, you can't really get consistency. But at the same time, the players that have played, they should, they're kind of crying out for some new heroes to emerge. And at the minute, they're struggling to do so. Um, you mentioned Malik Wilkes, who came in in January. He's sort of, um, he's got some goals in the last few games. And, you know, to be fair, he's, he has turned up um, recently. They, they missed him a lot against Barnsley in midweek. Obviously, he's on loan from there. So he, he was ineligible. And, you know, whether he would have made the difference or not, I don't know, because they were really poor against Barnsley. But, with the form he was in, I'm sure he, it was a game would have been up for. Marcus Madison, you know, it, it feels like a chance for him to prove himself. Um, as you mentioned there, his record in League One is absolutely phenomenal. You know, play, there's, a, there's a reason why he was linked with so many championship clubs. But my argument is that he's been in League One for so long now and he's been uh, playing at such a consistent level for pretty much all of that time. Why has he not, you know, got that move sooner? And I think that's part of the thinking with the the, the the move they got in through. They got him alone with the option that knowing that he's out of contract in the summer, they can have a bit more of a look at him. Like a trial run, really. So I think these, these final 11 games are a big chance. You know, if Madison comes in and plays, you know, really well over that time, City might, may consider, you know, bringing them in permanently. Because obviously they're going to need wingers. wingers. Um, obviously Wilkes is only in on loan. Madison's only in on loan. So, and they do need them. But at the same time, it's players do need to step up. And yeah, as you said, a lot of them, their main experience and their main football has come in League One. You've been playing four-two-three-one for the last few weeks. Um, how do you think you're going to line up tomorrow, given the, the injury crisis? It's an interesting one. Um, if you'd asked me that about a week ago, I would have said, you know, stick to four-two-three-one. But uh, they started this season, the first sort of 10, 12 games, with a four-three-three, with one sitting midfielder, and two slightly in front as like eights, like a four and two eights, really. Um, similar to like how Chelsea's planned with Mauricio Sarri, that, that kind of style. Um, because Kevin Stewart came back into the team for the first time in three months. He had you know, been a long-term injury. Uh, he came back. Um, I, was quite, I was pretty impressed with him this week, despite a really poor performance. Um, and because he's back in, maybe they go and stick with a fourth 3-3, you know, with a sitting midfielder. Um, I think personnel-wise... <laughs> Injuries have kind of limited the room for speculation. Um, if I had to predict really quickly, it would be George Long in goal, uh, Robbie McKenzie at right back, Matthew Pennington and Sean McLaughlin centre-half, 
Callum Elder at left back. I can see Stewart being the sitting midfielder, maybe um, Leonardo Silva Lopez and Jackson Irvine just ahead of him. And then a front three, which is a tough one. Uh, I'd say Mallet Wilkes on one wing. Martin Samuelson came on at half time for Madison in midweek and, you know, he, he, he impressed yet to start for City, so we could give him the chance on the other wing. And then McGinnis up front purely because yeah, he's out for the season and Lewis Potter's a late call. Balogs aren't the other kick since arriving um, as a free agent. So, so that's what I guess, really. But I think they might stick with that 4 3 3 the sitter. It might give them a bit more control, a bit more defensive cover because they're going to need it against Leeds. John, too, great having you with us today. Just very quickly before you go, a score prediction. It's a tough one. Um, it really is because, you know, the championships throw up those surprises. I'll, I'll say 1-0 Leeds purely because they've got a habit of winning games 1-0 recently. Um, but I think, you know, it's very much going to be a Leeds three points. Good stuff. John T. Coleman there from Hull Live. I'll tell you what, that's the first guest we've ever had as an opposition view who's just voluntarily, of his own accord, given us the entire start in 11. I know, it's impressive. Stuff. You mentioned Martin Samuelson there. I'm surprised he's actually not kicked on. I saw him on loan at Peterborough a few seasons ago. Of course, he's been at West Ham as finally nicked a move to maybe get some first-team football. I thought he'd probably do a bit more than he has done. He's still quite young, only 22 years old. Yeah, it's tough to move up divisions, I think. And, and obviously, you can play well in Peterborough. And as, as James is saying, like League One footballers play football like League One players. And there's never the guarantee that league effects won't come into play. So, uh, But you never know. A lot of it's to do with de- development as well as young players. We talk about this a lot too on our channel that just because a player is playing well at the under 23s doesn't mean to say that his development will always be um, on an upward trajectory there's there's plenty of players who, who don't develop well um, but also you've got to do the right things you've got to make sure you get your players to that position as well so hopefully it all works out for him Alright gents well it is an away fixture tomorrow I very quickly want to just touch on a bit of news I read in uh, it was uh, inews.co.uk I read uh, today just an article that is out there with regards to Leeds and the fact they've been branded arrogant and exploitative. Now, the tweet that I saw, I have to say, it did surprise me, and I don't want to hammer the media team here. We've already spoken about them with regards to the Kiko Kassir incident earlier on in the show, but the fact that they said Reading are the latest club to not sell out their away allocation, so extra tickets have now been made available to Leeds fans in the West Stand. That's not the right way to put it. Just say we've now got more tickets available. But, fellas, the issue with this and the fact that Leeds have been charging £39 for away fans to come to Ellen Road, we know that in the Premier League there's a cap of £30 for away teams. That doesn't exist in the Championship, so it gives teams an opportunity to maybe charge more. I'm pretty sure I think you've both got differing views on this. So James, we'll hear your <laughs> point and then John will hear yours. Um, yeah, so I really don't understand the, the reason people are complaining about this. Like, yeah, you'll pay 39 quid as an adult to sit in the away end in the West End at Ellen Road. And if you're sitting in the home end in the West End at Ellen Road, you'll also pay 39 quid as an adult. You're not being discriminated against. And I don't see why the club should give you a discount because you're an away fan compared to home fans nor why we shouldn't sell tickets to home fans because we can uh, instead of sitting to away fans i also like just from a a club's point of view really cannot stand this criticism coming from reading of all people um this being a club who very much go on about they only charge away fans 20 pounds but cut their away allocation in half um, between last season and the season before, where it was five thousand, it's now two and a half. 
uh, because they've dedicated half of what used to be the away end to their um, quote-unquote singing section uh, and haven't moved that round the corner to provide as many tickets for away fans as they otherwise would have done, which meant at the recent uh, away game at Reading, yes, those those Leeds fans who were in the away end only paid 20 quid, but there were thousands of Leeds fans in the home end because we couldn't you know, enjoy the game supporting the club that we actually came there to support. So I, I don't think there's any easy answers, but when we have a, a full stadium, we can sell out and we can sell those tickets to home fans at those prices. I don't think you've got any right to complain about being charged what you're being charged. 20's plenty, isn't it? Really. <laughs> do you not think? I agree. Yeah, I do agree. I have to say that I'm probably erring towards Jonathan McKenzie here. But See, I made my case in about two words there. And that's pretty much yeah. it, right? Okay, realities <laughs> of the market. <laughs> <laughs> okay, job done. Right, next on the Leeds United Fan Show, it's your listener questions. We've all got one, and we're not afraid to put it on display. Our opinions, that is. Share yours now at Love Sport Radio on Twitter or call us 0208 70 20 558. Love Sport Radio, your fan station. Leeds United fans show here on Love Sport. Me, Matt Beadle, John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? James Wood with us too. We're going to get on to the newly announced Premier League Hall of Fame in a moment or two, but we've just got a few of your listener questions that we're going to rattle through first. And the first one, John, is from Corey James Stout. Wonderful name, that. I'd love to know more about the throw-ins we take and whether or not there's any data or stats on it. It seems like we often make very progressive movements when we have throw-ins. Corey James Stout is what I imagine you drink in the the pub. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think we don't have any data on throw-ins. I'm sure there's probably someone out there who does uh, but we don't have access to them unfortunately but I, I'm glad that someone's mentioned the throw-ins I think we've had a bit of noise around the, the channel the Twitter feed uh, people talking about throw-ins because I think it's become people have become very aware of the fact that we're very good at throw-ins we almost never give up um, possession from from a throw-in um, but this question is good as well because I think that there's a recognition that, that the throw-in um, te- the, the manoeuvres that we do are actually the beginning of uh, playing manoeuvres so it's not just simply we're trying to get the ball back in play and retain possession there's an understanding that if you do it well you can actually create space and you can um, you can start your transition phase fr- straight from the throw-in um, all goes back to the, this idea that Bielsa is just is, is very big on on running um, routines and, and getting people playing patterns of play uh, and I think hopefully people can see why he is he is so fastidious about it because I think no one would even consider that we wouldn't just win the ball back from a um, from a throw in when we when we when we do that so Bielsa's all about possession he, he's all about if you can retain possession then you can um, you can go on and attack and throw in is part of that. Okay, next one, James, is from Joe Hill. If we get promoted, can you see Big Kev, that is Jean-Kevin Augustin, no doubt he's referring (laughs) to there, being a regular starter after he's had a Bielsa pre-season? Surely we'd have to improve our conversion rate as better teams would punish us for not taking our chances. Well, the second part I definitely agree with. So, uh, yeah, I don't think definitely... anyone would. No, no, <laughs> yeah, not a controversial viewpoint. Of course, we need to to get better at converting the chances that we actually do get. With regard to Augustin, I'm really not sure. I don't think we've seen enough of him. Uh, I know we've got a an obligation in place to buy him for about 18 million quid if we go up. So, for that sort of money, you'd think we're buying a starting striker. But it it does strike me that he's a player who's been sort of. Um, at PSG then he's gone to Leipzig he's gone to Monaco on loan now he's here and he's never really kicked on from being you know the guy who outscored Kylian Mbappe at the uh, the Youth World Cup so I'm I would be reluctant to put all my eggs in one basket 
if we were to go up and saying Augustin having, because he's not starting at the moment and he's not going to start starting before the end of the season, to say this guy who's had a very limited number of minutes off the bench is our, is our starting number nine in the Prem. Uh, if we were to go up, I'd far rather see us try and bring in someone with a, a more proven track record, allow Augustin to continue on as, as that bench prospect, because he is, let's not forget, only 22. Are you going to be happy with that, do you think? Uh, how, how do you mean? Will Augustin be happy with being a bench prospect? Um, <laughs> I, I think it's got to be. You've got to do what's right for the team, don't you? And he, he, he's going to be here regardless or not. So whether he's happy, I mean, you obviously want to keep players happy to some extent, but he's not been able to force his way into the team past Patrick Bamford at, at the moment. I think it's far more important that we get someone in with that proven record and probably try and use Pat Bamford as a, as a make weight in that deal going the other direction. Because um, he's a player I just look at and think, well... You know, a move now is probably in the interest of both parties. Yeah, I think that this is this is the way the Bielsa does things. You have to earn your way into the team. It happens in the squad anyway. If you miss a few games for injury, um, unless you're Calvin Phillips, you have to pretty much earn your spot back in the in the team. I think that's a healthy way of doing it. I think it makes people aware of the fact that they are part of a of a wider collective, and it means that you're giving, I think, a level of healthy competition to to your players who aren't in the first eleven, and also a, a, a level of um, confidence that you're going to make it onto the, the team sheet again if you are in the first 11 so you're not quite so worried about making mistakes although it doesn't seem to really have much impact in the in the case of Pat Bamford um, I think yeah I, I, I think I would I think we need to we need to buy someone up front next season I don't think there's any doubts about that um, so, so I was talking to Nat about this the other day and we thought that the, the, the best move would be to offer Mitch, uh, Fulham 15 million and Bamford for Mitrovic both because Mitrovic is really good and there is no better combination of player and club than Pat Bamford and Fulham they are made for one another and it needs to happen <laughs> straight swap mm. wonder what Fulham fans would think about that one right gents we're going to move on to the Premier League Hall of Fame now now this news was announced this week that they're going to be launching a Hall of Fame first inductees to be announced mid-March they are inducting two players with exceptional skill and talent that is what the Premier League have said and then they'll list a number of nominees that fans can vote on. Of course, Leeds United, a member of the Premier League, a founding member of the Premier League, and with it for the first 12 years of its existence. We're asking all our fans from the fan shows, James and John, who you would induct as a Leeds United player. James, I'll come to you first. Um, Gary Speed, for obvious reasons, a Premier League great, not just for us, but for Newcastle, for Bolton, for a whole host of clubs one I think of the best creative midfielders of the 1990s and early 2000s uh, obviously very dearly departed now um, but yeah an absolute you know machine in midfield for us when we uh, when we won the league and in subsequent seasons so yeah Gary would be uh, one of my top nominations for a Leeds player I might do I have to come up I have to come up with an individual what? What, other than just an entity or something? I mean, what? <laughs> what, you want me to just right now say no, somebody I mean, who, I mean, who's my nailed in or like who radio. I would like to see? It's radio. Let's have a discussion. So, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I've not really thought, I've, I've genuinely not really thought about a Hall of Fame thing because, it, I mean, it's all part of this. I mean, people would say Americanization of the sport, whatever. It's about It's about finding another way of making some kind of... Um, revenue right I guess um, but that fact, said the fact that a Hall of Fame already does exist for English football and Justin Fashion who was the latest entry wasn't he just right, so last week the, or the week before that's the National Football Museum that's yeah. it you'd think that is enough why they have to have a branded Hall of Fame for the Premier League is yeah. is besides a point it's, it's but, another, you know, another bit of commercialisation you've got to remember football didn't exist before the Premier League yeah mm-hmm. exactly yeah. well so I'm, I watch a lot of baseball and one of the good things about baseball I think is their Hall of Fame because you get this amazing you get this amazing process whereby people are inducted um, 
um, and you you have this whole um, vote system that's that there's certain people who make these votes so who's going to get in it's really interesting you have projections of who's going to end up in the hall of fame is this a future hall of famer and I actually quite like that um, because partly because I think it would make people more aware of what constitutes a good footballer and now I say that with a caveat as long as that sort of process is put in place if it's just you know Graham Souness picking who he thinks is good then I'm not entirely convinced that that there will be anything other than a sort of big uh, a big ploy to get more people's money out of them somehow but um, yeah I think I think the idea of doing something like that where you have journalists and and um, former players and and various people from across the football um, the the football space um, voting and and you only have a, a certain number of inductees per year and um, and there's very strict criteria about who and who doesn't count. I think that would be pretty good for the sport. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you I, want a name though, don't you? Well, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> pressing you for one year. Listen, all, all, I guess what you do is maybe look at your favourite Leeds player in the Premier League or, and listen, it doesn't have to, you don't have to really think about who should be in it statistically or X, Y and Z. Mm. Just someone really that, yeah, you know, and we had Chelsea before you guys, obviously, and I was convinced they'd just say Frank Lampard, Petr Cech and John Terry. They did say Frank Lampard, of course, but Jonathan Kidd said Rude Hullet which surprised me because he said it was a real seminal signing because without Rude Hullet, the rest of what we know Chelsea to be now probably may not have come. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is why the criteria that you em- employ is quite interesting because if you do if you do, do something um, that is just sort of like based on l- longevity or whatever, then you will say you're Frank Lampard. You're Frank Lampard, you're John Terry's, you're Petr Cech. <laughs> the but- plural. I, for example, I would love to have Tony Eboa in in the the Premier League Hall of Fame because I think he is just a, a re- he was a really fun player. He was, he was um, seminal at the point where we we had him as well in the in the sense that we brought this player across from from German football. No one knew anything about. He was there for only there for a full. He was there for two seasons, but he came I think one January and left, left the next. Yeah. Um, and he just sort of like took it, took the took Leeds United by storm. It was incredible. We we were in Europe as well at the time, and it was it was just a really fun period. And he's the reason why. He's not the reason why, but he was like the, my first Leeds United love. So I'd love to see someone like Tony Eboa in. But I suspect it will be people uh, like your Mark Vidukas and Alan Smiths, etc. Yeah, it's difficult to pick out the criteria for them because you, there are so many players you can say, well, they deserve it, but do they deserve it on the basis of their time at Leeds for their particular being good in a position which is fairly rare to be in? Um, and how do you compare their international achievements? So you can say, I think Nigel Martin, one of the most you know consistent goalkeepers through the, the early years of the Premier League. David Batty, one of the best defensive midfielders, should have played a lot more for England, Lucas Radebe, I think the, the first um, black South African to captain their national team, but that's not an achievement he's made in the Premier League. So does that does mm. that count for us? He was obviously very good and led us to one of our best periods of success uh, in our history. So, yeah, how do you pick those players out? Is it the, the fun players like Yeboah who lit up the Premier mm. League for a short period of time? Is it just sustained excellence? Because if it's the latter, then Gary Kelly should be right up there <laughs> straight away. Gents, good debate, and I'm glad that we had it. So we are basically going with Gary Speed and Tony Yeboah. <laughs> Two decent names there. No, I like it. That's the point of this whole process. Right, before we go, a quick score prediction from you both tomorrow against Hull. James? 3-0, Leeds. Go on the Leeds, John. 1-0. <laughs> wow. I've, said, I've, I've literally said 1-0 in the last three, so I'm just going to keep going. Four successive 1-0 wins. And a chance, of course, to put that pressure on West Brom. They play later in the day against Wigan, desperate to get out of that relegation zone. It's the Leeds United Fan Show. We'll be back next Friday, 8pm. See you then. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Here's a cool fact. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 